Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled, Expanding Our Footprint, Part 2. Join us in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 7-14. through 14. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. So uh, today will just be my um, last message regarding um, the expanding our footprint. See, we've talked about this for a while in, uh, in various times and places, but uh, I want to wrap that up today. So I'm going to uh, kind of dig into this a little bit further. We are, we're doing some really great things in the future. It's going slow. I think it's going to go really slow, just like everything um, and our world has really changed. And so, but uh, it's kind of crazy um, what's happening uh, within us and uh, that street out front. I just uh, attended an, another road widening public meeting. <laughs> and wow, it is not going to go fast. So, um, We live in a great country, but if we can figure out a way to make it go slow, we're going to do it, right? <laughs> and, and if we want to put a piece of artwork on the side of the road, that's going to go slow. So anyway, um, it's, it's exciting though, because I think God's in the middle of all this. It's going to be good for us as a church. So... We want to keep talking about expanding our footprint. We got to talk about the things that are that surround that. There's no other um, area or arena when it comes to spiritual growth. We're talking about spiritual growth, right? Where we make the assumption that believers will grow without reminder or exhortation or discipleship, but we relegate or we compartmentalize giving like it's like that's the way it is. And I think it's because, I mean, there's multiple reasons. It's a touchy subject for folks when you start talking about money, right? Like, oh my gosh, you know, um, you're always talking about money. It's amazing. And I think I'm taking the tack in this message to say, yeah, because there is something about it that is the center of who God is and it's the way he uses the subject and the issue regarding our resources. I have come to realize that we are not mature disciples of Christ. We're not mature followers of Jesus if we have not embraced the reality that we are stewards, not owners. It is a concept that is not, it's not just a concept. It's an actual fact of being a follower of Jesus, a true, an authentic Christ follower. We are stewards, not owners. So if churches and pastors have communicated, or if I have in some way been misunderstood or just communicated that stewardship messages are primarily about fundraising, then it is our responsibility or my responsibility to change that attitude and that thinking internally because it's not. A lot of times it buttons up to things like expanding our footprint. We talk about giving and things like that. That's for certain because um, 
uh, it, they are tied together and they are connected together. I, I, my goal is, is that you would understand giving a lot better um, I, just as a result of grappling with just some, some issues regarding the heart of God um, today. So I want you to turn in your Bible to 1 Kings chapter 17. Old Testament um, book, you may have not wrestled with that. If you're uh, new or unfamiliar with me in particular, um, that's fine. Um, but I, I, I reluctantly, I don't like to put the Bible scriptures on the screen because I feel like you just get in a bad habit of not looking it up for yourself. And I just don't want to perpetuate that. So I, I get fairly confrontational about not bringing your Bible to church. And so um, you should uh, bring your Bible to church. And there's one under that little black chair in front of you. If you don't have one, you can reach under behind you. You know, they're, they're there for you to, to utilize if you forgot yours, get in the habit of doing it. So anyway, I preach that message pretty often. So um, I think that um, if we're going to talk about stewardship and that it's basic discipleship, then uh, here's a couple of things. I think each, then each believer in Jesus must come to understand that giving is not just about doing your duty, all right? Uh, it's, it's not anything like that. Giving is actually a deeply personal indicator of our spiritual maturity. It's an indicator. That's why I think it's such a touchy subject. Because when you start pressing on it, it exposes where you are regarding your relationship with the Lord. It just does. That's why Jesus talked about it all the time. That's why it's the, the scriptures, the Bible is riddled with this concept or fact uh, of steward, being a steward, not an owner, because it's a personal indicator. Now, what do you mean by that? If, if we understand Jesus' words that our um, treasure is an indicator of where our heart is, and you cannot avoid this part of discipleship. So it's a part of your spiritual maturity. You're being a disciple of Jesus. And we have to lean into the importance of the issue. Okay. So uh, I'm, I want to kind of set this up uh, and just call it knowing God through giving. You could say connecting God. It, giving connects you to God and helps you know actually who God is. You can't avoid it. Giving is a spiritual issue. And in fact, it's... It's purely a relational issue. That's the thing. It's a relational issue. So that's why it becomes personal, right? In order to truly yield to God's ownership of our possessions, see, you've got to evaluate carefully what may be the most telling evidence of stewardship, and that is the part that we give. Although I think I could make a case that, I, uh, that, that the part that you don't give actually reveals where you are uh, what you're all about with the Lord too. But just as we decide on what we are going to spend on appliances, have you ever, have you bought a new appliance for your kitchen lately? Oh my gosh. I, I'm, I'm stupefied at how much it costs. I mean, how unavailable they are right now actually. And um, I mean, my goodness. Technology is great, but wow. Uh, but we make decisions all the time because we, we need these things. I was just trying to make a decision about a microwave this last week. 
I got no words. I'm like, this is going to cost an entire paycheck if I'm not careful. A microwave. What in the world? It's like this piece of equipment that you can't do without, right? We make decisions on how, to, what to, how much to spend on appliances. We make decisions all the time on how, how much do I put in savings or an emergency fund, right? Or my retirement account. So we also must decide how much money we will give. We have to decide that all the time. We should as a Christ follower. And even giving nothing, actually, giving nothing is a decision. Stewards are accountable in each decision to please the owners. That's what steward means. It means you are taking care of what is not yours. It is... um, Owned by someone else. And so many see the responsibility of giving as a burden because there's a lot of responsibility in it, right? And so, but I think it's really sad to think that way in light of Paul's reminder, uh, the Apostle Paul, that God loves actually a cheerful giver. So giving is actually a relation, a relational decision. And in the process of making giving decisions, we really establish our agreement with God about being a steward, right? And as we continually decide to give, we constantly affirm how much we value our relationship to God as his children. So uh, um, as God's stewards, giving decisions are simply a matter of thinking, right? Thinking through uh, something very specific, thinking through each decision to please the owner. And as God's stewards, um, it's a matter of thinking through how he wants us to allocate his money. So an amazing benefit of giving, actually, when you come to really get your arms around this and believe and know it, uh, an amazing benefit of giving as a steward, all right, is that it releases you from the real burden of our, uh, your own financial needs, actually, right? And as, as we learn to trust God through giving, we can give confidently on what's left because we know that God is taking care of us. He promises all that. We've talked through that before. But ultimately, the outcome is that those who give as stewards experience a sense of intimacy with God that it can't be found in any other way, that all followers of Christ want this intimacy with God. And so giving becomes worship, actually, worship. Giving becomes a way of saying thanks to God for his grace, for his promises, for his provision. Giving becomes a deep part of our spiritual connection to God. Let's look at 1 Kings. Go to chapter 17, and we'll start in verse 7. Starting in verse 7. It's a pretty fantastic story. We're going to jump right in the middle, all right? And I'm going to read some things, and then you're going to go, oh, by the time you're done, you'll figure out who we're talking about. Well, listen to this. It says, after a while, the stream dried up because... There had been no rain in the land. So evidently there's a stream and now it's dried up, right? No rain. The Lord's message came to him. We'll find out who him is in a minute. Get up and go to Zarephath in Sidonian uh, territory and live there. I have already told a widow who lives there to provide for you. So he got up and went to Zarephath. When he went through the city gate, there was a widow gathering wood. He called out to her, please give me a little bit of water in a cup so I can take a drink. And she went to get it. He called out to her, please bring me a piece of bread. 
And she said, as certainly as the Lord your God lives, I have no food except for a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. Right now I'm gathering a a couple of sticks for fire. And then I'm going to go home, make one final meal for my son and myself. After we've eaten that, we will die of starvation. Verse 13, Elijah said to her, oh, that's who the hymn is. Don't be afraid. Go and do as you planned. But first, I would underline that. Make me a small cake and bring it to me. Went from bread to cake. Kind of like that. I like cake. Make me a small cake and bring it to me. Then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel has said. The jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day of the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. Now, I don't, listen, I love my wife, but if I said, hey, get me a drink of water and make me a cake first. It's not going to go good. I'm saying that. So the passage here tells us the story. And, you know, they, they, nobody's married here, and Elijah's a prophet. So it tells us a story of God providing for a widow in a small town northwest of Galilee along the Mediterranean coast, just in case you're interested in that. So after a three-and-a-half-year drought, if you read through this, there's a drought for three-and-a-half years. God sent Elijah to this widow living in financial fears, all right? So there's been fear growing in her heart for several years. There's no rain in the land. She can't grow anything, all right? So now there's no food, and there's no welfare system. Welfare has a bad reputation in our culture, but welfare is good for uh, times like this when people are just really in a lot of need. There's a lot of corruption in, in our day and age in terms of welfare, but but there was a system of welfare, you know, within um, the Old Testament uh, believers, but it, it's not, it doesn't really exist, all right, in this area where this woman lives. So this wasn't Israel, Israel where people at least knew that they're supposed to care for widows and the poor, right? So none of that's happening. As far as she knew, the starvation process would begin after this meal. There's nothing, gonna, there's nothing to eat anywhere. And then the prophet, so Elijah's a prophet. He is God's representative or his mouthpiece. He shows up. First, he wants a drink. His stream dries up, right? He's thirsty. Go live here. So that's what he's doing. She must have had some source of water. So in spite of her own desperate situation, she, she aided him, right? But his, I'll give you some water. Are you kidding? But his next, next request, you know, there's no way. She, she stops, all right, in her tracks. Please, please bring me some bread. Now, at least he said please, right? So, uh, look, just put yourself in her shoes. Right, I got no bread, dude. I'm about to die with my son, and you want me to bring you bread. So, uh, but Elijah, he does not back down because... He's representing God. So you can kind of say, God doesn't back down. Keep that in mind. This is God speaking through him, right? He doesn't back down on his request. He sets in place a test of this woman's heart. Okay? This is God. Verse 13. Look at verse 13. Elijah says to her, don't be afraid. Go and do as you planned. 
right? But first, make a small cake for me and bring it to me, then make something for yourself and your son. I said underline first, right? It sounds kind of like Elijah's selfish. What in the world? You know, because it's hard to separate God, Elijah, this whole thing. But he represents God, uh, the God of Israel, and she seems to understand that. And the God of Israel and heaven and earth, he's sovereign and he's to be obeyed. So that's why Elijah is obeying and he's fulfilling um, his part right here. And as God's representative, then Elijah promises her a miracle, but she has to make his cake of bread first. So now the woman has a decision to make. Do I divide up my very last meal? Is that the way it's going to go? This means me and my son, we're going to have hunger pains. You know, the hunger's not going to start tomorrow. It's going to start today. Is basically the way she's thinking. This man of God representing the living and true God. Am I going to do this? She has to decide. It's a decision. And we're faced with decisions like this all the time. So you can say it's her decision and his decision, all that kind of stuff. But already the lessons should begin to apply, right? We make decisions all the time just like this. Do I really believe it? Do I really believe enough to give this man bread that leaves me hungry today? Am I going to trust God like this? You have to decide. So she decides to trust God, but probably not within, uh, without a large degree of doubt. And there's nothing wrong with doubting. It's when you stiff arm God and you reject God. That's when I think it gets uh, difficult. Doubts happen all the time, right? And sometimes it's a process to work things through, right? She decides to trust God. Certainly there's some doubt, but maybe she, uh, uh, you know, maybe there was a little bit of what do I have to lose kind of thing. I don't know. So she makes the, made the bread, dividing the little that she has, and she gives uh, to Elijah first. How does this work out for the widow? Look at verse 15 and uh, 16. She went and did as Elijah told her. There was always enough food for Elijah and for her and her family. The jar of flour was never empty, and the jug of oil never ran out, in keeping with the Lord's message that he had spoken through Elijah. Right? God did the miracle. Maybe it was the next morning after feeding Elijah that the miracle occurred. We don't know, but for this woman of faith who gave first, there was bread for today. God gave her and her son their daily bread. That's what he does. We don't know how God did it, but in, this, in some way, God created extra oil, ground flour continuously for this widow and her son, and God's servant Elijah until the rains came again. That's what happens. That's the truth right there. Does God still do this, though? Does he still work like this? Of course he does. That's the way God is. He cares about us personally, and he reaches out to us relationally when we are devoted to him. That's what he wants is relationship with you and I, intimate relationship. You cannot question that. That's what he wants. He's all about that. That's why he would give us his only son. Second Chronicles 16, 9 says, Certainly the Lord watches the whole earth carefully and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to him. So it should be no surprise to us that God uses the area of financial giving to test our heart and then to draw us close as we trust and obey him. 
That's what he's after. Let's just make a few observations. They're simple. It's not rocket science. You don't have to be an unbelievable, um, uh, I don't know, student of the story to make these observations. Uh, Number one, she was a believer in the true God. She obeyed. She knew who Elijah was. All right? That's number one. Number two, she had serious financial needs herself. So are you a believer in the true God? Do you have financial needs yourself? See how these apply, right? She was asked to give away a big part of the little she had first. She heard God's promises to provide for her, and she gave. I know the promises. I, I, I can recite the promises. I claim the promises all the time. All right? Uh, here's, the, here's the next one. She believed God's promises and first gave obediently to God. So she did exactly what God said to do. Remember, Elijah represents God. And then God showed his care by providing for her needs miraculously. So let's fast forward to another widow. Take out your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 12. Now, don't put it up on the screen yet. Mark chapter 12, turn there. So Jesus and his disciples are in the temple, all right? Oh, this is coming right out of Jesus' mouth, right? And he's pretty, he does some pretty sturdy teaching here about what we're talking about. So they're in the temple in Jerusalem sitting where people put in offerings for the temple treasury. So there's these giving boxes, offering boxes, and and they're all all there. And people are, are, are putting offerings in the boxes for the temple treasury. All right, now, it's Passover time and the town was extra full. Everybody's traveling here for Passover. At feast times like this, people who came to the temple would often give extra gifts. And we don't talk about this often, but this this wasn't the tithe here. All right? It's not the tithe here. It's not obligation. These were special gifts that were supposed to be given as personal worship. That's what they're doing. Worship is not proven by a gift or anything external. So worship is what goes on in your heart, and that's what we learn by the Bible's account of what takes place. Next, go to verse 41. Verse 41 in Mark 12. Then he sat down opposite the offering box and watched the crowd putting coins in. Many rich people were thrown in large amounts. A poor widow came and put in two copper coins, worth less than a penny. He called his disciples and he said to them, now he's going to teach them something. He does this all the time, Jesus does. He's very rabbinic about this, right? So it's like you're putting your hands just on your little child's face and saying, listen to me, I want you to focus. That's exactly what he's doing. He does this all the time, right? Listen, I want to teach you something. You're my disciples. I tell you the truth. That means I'm serious. This poor widow has put more into the offering box than all the others. For they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in what she had to live on, everything she had. So Jesus doesn't say anything, really. He really doesn't say anything about the wealthy people here who gave at the temple this day. 
He doesn't say that the wealthy people were wrongly motivated. That's not what he's teaching here. It's not got anything to do with anything. But Jesus notices this widow whose heart was genuinely committed to giving actually as worship. And so Jesus makes the observation that this woman gave more than the wealthy. She gave the smallest of all the gifts. It was two tiny copper coins, right? These little bronze pieces of a coin that weigh less than a gram each. For instance, a penny weighs three gram. This weighs less than a gram, these copper coins. So together, these two coins are just minuscule, right? So on the one hand, what made her gift remarkable was how small it was. But on, uh, ironically, what made her gift remarkable to Jesus was how actually large it was. Isn't that crazy? What makes this gift so large was that it was all the money she had. Now, here's the thing. We're not told if she had any source of other income. But she gave all that she had. That's what we know. She had every reason actually not to give. But she wanted to worship, and so in the eyes of Jesus, she gave more than those who gave large amounts um, out of their wealth. So the gift given by others was expendable income. It didn't affect them really in any way. Her gift was essential income. I think that's a really important observation. This is how God views giving actually and you and I giving today. God always sees the sacrifice of giving. That's where the worship of giving actually really happens. It costs something. There's an, uh, an incident with uh, King David. You know, he's such a, an awesome king and uh, he's a man's man, all these things. But in First Chronicles 21, 24, he does something and then he, um, he, he wants to worship the Lord. He's repentant. And um, he wants to make a sacrifice, a burnt offering. And he says, I'm not going to offer to the Lord a burnt sacrifice that costs me nothing. So he makes a huge sacrifice. See, Jesus didn't make any promises here of God's future provision for this woman. In fact, we don't even know that Jesus spoke to her at all. Who knows? Jesus points, out, points her out because he recognizes the sincerity of her heart. That's what Jesus always wants. He's after your heart to transform you from the inside out. That's what he wants. That's why we keep talking about this personal relationship, the sincerity, the intimate relationship with God. That's what he wants is true, real, authentic relationship. So this woman has stood through the ages as a model for giving, not because of her giving ratio and how it exceeded the gifts of others, but because the sacrifice indicated her deep love for God. That's why it's a story that we always keep coming back to. Love for God is the goal. Sacrificial giving is a means of establishing and expressing that closeness with God. So here's the lessons from this scene. We're never too poor to give. It's fact. It's truth. Giving generously means trusting God for the future. God is honored by our degree of sacrifice, not the amount. God is worship, or giving is worship, excuse me, that expresses our relationship to God. You see that? Giving is 
worship that expresses our relationship to God. That's why it's such a touchy subject. <laughs> That's why we don't want anybody to know. That's why it's none of your business and all that kind of stuff, right? So the widow who fed Elijah and the widow in the temple probably just got by financially through the rest of their lives. It doesn't say that any different than that. God is still sovereign in how much he provides, right? So the amount is not the issue, but it is encouraging to learn that God miraculously provides. God honors those who have trusted him. Now, don't twist this around like, oh, it's not the amount then, but it kind of is in some ways too, right? Because <laughs> your amount might need to be a lot more than somebody else's amount. Does that make sense? We don't like talking like that either. So God honors those who have trusted him. His provision continues for givers today. So when we reach towards God, we express through financially giving that we trust God and he rewards us with a closer connection to him. It's tied. You can't separate it. Giving and a real, authentic, intimate relationship with God are intertwined and tied together to where you cannot tear them apart. So what has this got to do with you and me? Well, it's going to take me a while to explain it because I'm going to go back just a little bit. These stories are not just about God's reward for giving. That's not it. They pull back the curtain on God's desire to connect relationally with us. That's what they do. You know, we really like that. We want to see what's behind the curtain, don't we? The widow who fed Elijah believed God's promise, all right? And, and got to know and enjoy God because she trusted him. The widow in the temple already was a worshiper. She didn't come to the temple that day uh, the way we often come to church asking, what am I going to get out of it? You ever come to church doing that? Everybody's got an expectation when they come to church. I mean, if, if Kevin, you know, kind of, if it wasn't any good, it'd be like, oh, man. Or the pastor or, you know, Sunday school or whatever. I mean, we want good st- stuff for our kids. We want teenager things. You know, we want all these things. It's, isn't that funny how we come to church like that, right? What am I going to get out of it? This woman, she comes to give as worship, right? Giving was the crucial element that connected each of them to God and, and as they stretched out to him in personal trust. So giving connects us relationally with God. Giving's not about us. Giving is about our relationship with God. That's why it's so touchy. Isn't that crazy? Giving connects us to God relationally in several significant ways. There's a second one. Giving establishes humility before God. What does the IRS call the money that we deduct from our income because we gave it away? You know? You shouldn't have this memorized. It's called charitable giving, right? How is charitable giving defined by our world? It's giving some of what we have to help out people who are needy or suffering, right? That's a good thing. To be sure, it's a good thing. But in the world's way of thinking, it's a good thing. We're benefactors if we give, all right, in the world's way of thinking. So those to whom we, we give are recipients. So there's a certain superiority in that concept. Benefactors are put on a pedestal because they gave something away. Recipients 
feel small because they're in need of someone else's generosity or welfare, right? If that's all giving is to us, it's not biblical giving. That's not giving the way God's defining it, right? Of course, it's a good thing. But God, of course, is not in need of our gifts. Giving is about me expressing to God that he is my superior. See, giving is about me putting myself into a rightful, humble relationship with God because he's the owner and I'm the steward of it, right? I am simply giving something to him to express that I understand his ownership. Deuteronomy chapter 26 gives us a a few verses here that describe how giving expresses humble dependence. I'll put these up. Therefore, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Oh, the children of Israel again, right? With tremendous strength and power, as well as with great awe, inspiring signs and wonders. He did all this crazy stuff, right? Then he brought us to this place and he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, So now look, I have brought the first of the ground's produce that you, Lord, have given me. Then you must set it down before the Lord your God and worship before him. Now what is this all about? Giving here is how Israel expressed their humble gratitude, right? God's chosen people, this nation he set aside to showcase who he is, right? Uh, Israel expressed their humble gratitude to God for what he Let them enjoy. You gave it to me, Lord. You're really the owner, right? So when we give, we recognize our relationship to God as manager of his money. It places us in the proper position under God. So what Moses was saying here is that God gave them their their land and God gave them their blessings. His point is that our gifts are really just recognition of who God is. By giving, see, the Israelites were saying to God, you've placed me in charge temporarily of this little bit of real estate. I'm bringing my gift to you, not because I'm awesome and I had anything to do with it, but because you are awesome, God. That's the attitude God is seeking in us. See, it's a humble attitude. It's keeping things in right perspective. Uh, giving's worship too, that's the next one. I'm just gonna describe this as the posture of our heart. You know, it's, it's like a picture of us on our knees, right? God owns the earth, that's Psalm 24, one. He owns everything in it. So what posture should a person have as they bring their gift? Our gift, uh, you know, might be big to us because it's a sacrifice, but to God, it's only big because it acknowledges his infinite ownership. That's why we can say confidently that we are to be stewards, not owners, and we can't act like owners, right? So the tiny cake of bread for Elijah, the copper coins in the temple are checked to support, you know, the church. It's big in God's grand scheme only if the gift acknowledges and worships the real giver the real owner. So giving is literally worship. Psalm, or excuse me, Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first fruits of all your crops. The Hebrew word, I love this Hebrew word for honor. It means to glorify or to acknowledge the importance of something. It's root meaning, oh, this is good. It's root meaning is that it's something that's heavy, weighty, significant, important. That's honor. 
And so when you apply it to God, right, honoring him means we, we, that, that we ascribe to him the significance that he deserves as God, right? When you bring your first fruits, first, remember I had you underline first, our gifts from our income, you write that check, you're expressing how important God is or you're acknowledging through bill pay or however you use the electronic system, right? He's the heavyweight. He's the priority in your life. He's the significant thing in your life. And the, the needs um, I meet are secondary, right? My primary need is to worship. It's to worship. So we give to acknowledge that God is the owner, and we give to express our worship and honor. There's, the, the, you know, what will rise in us is an expectation and a confidence that God is so powerful and so faithful, he's not going to... Not only going to use our gifts for his larger eternal purposes, but also that God will meet our needs as well. And that's freeing and so makes me happy. Right? Financial giving trains our hearts in other crucial parts of our relationship with God. Do we really trust God about everything? And last, I think then giving expresses trust in God. That's what it does. So... Do we really trust what God is doing in our human relationships, our careers, our health, all these things, right? Do we really trust God? How do we develop trust in God? If you were God, and you probably stay away from the money thing. It's a good thing I'm not God. Financial giving is actually one of God's key training grounds to produce a trust connection between us and him. Giving is a test. Everywhere I look, it is. It's a test. Malachi 3, uh, 3.10, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi 3.10, bring the entire tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my temple. Test me in this matter, says the Lord, who rules over all, to see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until there is no room for it all. Notice the test. God's probing here, and he's correcting the issue of their trust in him. Giving really is about trusting God because, like the widows, giving means that we have less. It does. So there's nothing more relational than trust. Think about that. Trust is always based on relationship. Always. Once we've gotten to know someone's character, we can predict much of what they will do, and that makes us go, oh, I trust him. Do you, you know, that's why you go, well, I don't really know you. I don't know if I can trust you. <laughs> right? But even in the times where we don't know for sure what they will do, we don't sweat it because why? Because we know their character well enough to trust them to do what is in our best interest. So it doesn't take long, right? Do we know and trust God? Do we know his character? God wants us to know and trust him so that even when we can't see for sure exactly what he's doing, we know his character and we know what he's all about, right? And he's all about wanting intimate relationship with us. Truly, financial concern seems to be an area that tests the trust of all people, no matter what the economic level are. It levels it, doesn't it? That's why it's so touchy, right? So as we give back to God in sacrificial worship, what are we doing? We're telling God that we really do trust him. That's what we're doing. As a result, 
He's honored and we come to know the peace of trusting God with our financial situation. So there's a card in your seat. We're going to end up this year um, with this card. It's just a way of motivating and encouraging you. It just asks a few simple things, right? Everybody should be able to check a circle. I'll commit to start giving. Maybe you just haven't been giving. If you're calling God sovereign, if you believe he is, if you're a follower of Jesus and a disciple, you need to commit to start giving. You should give. I'll reevaluate my giving or reoccurring giving. Why? Because it's, it's about growth and discipleship. It should be moving in your life. You should be getting better. I'm not going to skip or miss giving. I'm going to be a 100% consistent giver. It's, that's about maturity too, right? You know, it's, it's amazing to me. Um, I, I, I get it, but lots of people, they're, they're pretty good, you know, about 95% of the time. And then there's two or three times where we just skip, right? And we don't. And that adds up huge in our church. That could solve a lot of things in terms of just as a church, just being better at what we are supposed to do and be. I'll increase my giving. Some of you need to make that commitment because you can, because you haven't. No, you know, uh, you should. It should be growing. You should be getting more mature as you are a follower of Christ. I'll give a one-time gift over and above my regular giving. It takes those, those sacrificial gifts in order to make things happen like this first multi-purpose room that we built and enjoy and things. We're much Smaller, our community's growing. You've heard me talk about this. We need to respond with um, building our next phase. We're not, we're, we're taking our time. We're going to, we're being careful. You got all the right people crunching the numbers and working through it, but it, it takes us all linking arms in unity, right? It's happening all around us. They're widening the road. Oh my gosh, all the meetings for that are crazy. It's going to impact us. Our community's growing like crazy. Wow. It just is. And we need to be ready and think out front. Respond with a card. Giving isn't about just, you know, it's not just about a fundraising campaign. Don't misunderstand. But it is highly connected, right? It just is. Thanks for um, letting me draw the truth out of the text and just be straight. I'm certainly... Not perfect at communicating it, but I I want you to know we're doing our best to be a good steward as a church, as a whole. We got all the right people in place to make sure we're doing the right things. And uh, we're certainly not perfect, but we're going to give away a lot of food because you guys were generous and responded and gifts to people that need it. You know somebody that needs it? Send them. Send them over here this week. There's two or three nights this week before Thanksgiving. They should have it. Let's put it in their hands. Let's help them. We're doing stuff at Christmas. We're, you know, there's a thousand things going on, okay? It's, it's really, really good. Thank you, Lord, for uh, putting it on our heart, Lord, that we need to expand our footprint right here to be an influence in the community that we live in and to meet the needs of people all around us. It's who you want us to be, Help us to be a good steward and and make sure that we are 
understanding we're stewards and not owners, Lord. It's about, this is all yours. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.